Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters a show that seeks to follow Paul's words in Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be one voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony that that Paul speaks of in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we begin our study of the small catechism as we look at the first and second commandments. It is often said that if you look at the first commandment, it sums up all of the commandments. So if you can't even give the first commandment, why would you think you can get the seventh or the eighth or the ninth or the tenth? So we look at that today. So let's dig in. Dust off that little blue or marine, maroon little book, the Christ-filled center of our faith, and let's begin, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And since I'm new here on Concord Matters, I want to hear from you where you are studying with us. During my time on Thy Strong Word, we had people from around the world, after all, it is worldwide KFUO, Christ for you. And that's why when we look at that, we want to find out where where are you listening from? So send us an email, KFUO at KFUO.org. Tell us where you're listening from and maybe a little bit about where you're listening from. But today, as we join together, we are joined with the Reverend Dr. John Pless, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Ministry and Missions at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Pless, welcome to Concord Matters. Really good to be with you today. Pastor, tell us about yourself and your work at Concordia Theological Seminary. It says you're a pa- the, the assistant professor of pastoral ministry and missions. What does that mean? Right. Uh, seminary faculty is really divided into three departments. There's the pro- uh, Department of Exegetical Theology or uh, Bible, uh, the um, Faculty of, uh, of Church History, Historical Theology, looking at the history of doctrine and the church. Uh, there's systematic theology, or sometimes called dogmatic theology. And then the fourth part, uh, the fourth uh, division, which really brings the other three together, is often referred to as practical theology. 
But here at our seminary, we refer to this department as the Department of Pastoral Ministry and Mission. So that um, this is the department that really attends to all the things that uh, the pastor does, how the pastor is trained uh, to preach uh, law and gospel, how the pastor is uh, prepared to lead the, the liturgy of the divine service and distribute Christ's gift in baptism, absolution, and Lord's Supper, how the pastor uh, cares for those in the various stages of life, uh, from uh, uh, really from uh, cradle to grave. And, um, and so basically all the things that need to be there in the pastor's toolkit as uh, he works as an under-shepherd of uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, particularly within the Department of Pastoral Ministry and Mission, uh, I teach uh, catechetics, which is the study of small catechism, how to teach it. I also teach uh, pastoral theology, uh, which again deals with uh, the theological shape and rationale of all that the pastor does and the official uh, you know, discharge of his office, as well as the pastor's uh, understanding of himself as a man in Christ and before God. And then I um, also teach a course in uh, theological ethics and a uh, few other electives along, uh, along the way. I've uh, been in this position uh, since 2000, so I'm into my 22nd year here of teaching. Uh, before that, I was pastor for 17 years at the University of Lutheran Chapel at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. That was my uh, first call, actually, out of seminary and came from uh, that background of, of being a campus pastor, and faculty here, and I'm honored and really enjoy uh, the opportunity to uh, prepare men for the pastoral office and now also to help prepare uh, uh, women for the diaconal of uh, the deacon's office uh, in, in the church. And so I wanted to be with you this afternoon, talk particularly about catechism, because catechism is a book that I, uh, I regularly teach here and then uh, certainly uh, love teaching this catechism. I was a pastor in Minneapolis and uh, as a, you know, as a kind of a cradle Lutheran, really did grow up with the catechism. And uh, would hope them actually growing into the catechism because uh, Luther made the point that uh, uh, you can't overlearn the catechism. He said we need to, even though he said I'm a doctor of theology and an old man, I still have to uh, behave like a little child. Take that cat, take the catechism in hand, and continue uh, to study. And said you're you're not finished teaching the catechism until you teach the devil to death. That uh, ongoing task in, in the Christian life that uh, you never uh, you never grow out of the truth of God's word. You're always growing into it, uh, growing deeper into it. And as C.S. Lewis wants to say, uh, you grow up into a text. You know, and that's, uh, I've always found that to be a, a good image uh, that you think of these base, very basic texts in the small catechism: the commandment, uh, the creed, uh, the Lord's prayer. I can't ever remember a time, for example, uh, that I did not know the Lord's Prayer. We were enough in a Christian family in a Lutheran house. Uh, went to church every Sunday, heard the Lord's Prayer, prayed there, prayed it in family devotion. And yet, uh, you know, when I first was praying the Lord's Prayer, maybe a child of two or less, I probably didn't know uh, really the meaning of too many of those words. And 
So I prayed the Lord's Prayer differently uh, when I was maybe, say, age 12 and praying it differently yet when I was in uh, uh, college and praying it uh, differently when I was a young pastor than I'm praying it now. And uh, if the Lord gives me life, I will uh, probably pray it differently uh, when I come to my, uh, to my, uh, to my dying than I'm praying it uh, today. So these are texts that we are ready to grow up and into. And Dr. Pless, I read an article that you wrote, and it was based off of, of Life of the World. This goes back. This is back in 2000. But you said these simple words, and I want you to speak to these, that the small catechism is a handbook for the royal priesthood of believers. As such, it is, number one, a user's guide to the Bible. User's guide to the Bible. Number two, our prayer book. And number three, handbook for the baptismal life. Now, Pastor, a lot of times we go through the catechism when we're young. We get through it. We put it maybe up on our shelf. Maybe you take it to college, but then you kind of lose it. It's not really there. But you broke this down into three things, and it doesn't sound like you're saying we're done in eighth grade. Uh, these three components, user guide to the Bible, prayer book, and handbook for the baptismal faith, that sounds like, as you just mentioned, a lifelong endeavor. What are your thoughts on or stand uh, on that? Yeah, exactly. That uh, uh, sometimes we think of the catechism only as a textbook, which we use for confirmation class, you know, one about seventh, eighth grade. And then everybody kind of knows what you do with the textbook once the course is over. Uh, you put it on eBay or you take it to a, a university resale shop, perhaps, or you put it on the shelf uh, where it's, uh, it's never really consulted again. Uh, but the, the catechism, as Luther intended, it is much more dynamic than that. It is the user's guide to the Bible. In fact, uh, our formula of Concord in the book of Concord uh, even refers to the uh, small catechism as the layman's Bible. And sometimes people are offended. What do you mean? Are you refreshing uh, the Bible with catechism? That's not the point. But rather that the teachings of Holy Scripture are clearly presented and given in a kind of condensed form in the small catechism. That the Bible itself is a very big book, or more properly, it is a library of 66 books, spanning from Genesis to Revelation, lots of different uh, literature, a lot of terrain to cover there, and um, it would be easy to get lost. But Luther saw the Catechism as really taking you to the heart of the matter, and the heart of the matter of Holy Scripture is uh, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Uh, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, who suffered and died, and raised from the dead for you. And uh, everything in the Catechism uh, really does revolve around uh, Christ, uh, uh, Christ Jesus. And that's the story of the Bible, that we read and study the Bible, not to become better Bible trivia players, but we read and study the Bible, uh, because it's only through the Bible that we have access to Christ Jesus, uh, who is... Um, it's uh, the Lord of the Scriptures, and to whom the Scriptures of both the Old and the New Testament uh, bear uh, bear witness. And so, the, Luther saw the small catechism as actually helping people uh, navigate the terrain of the Bible. Um, it's kind of a roadmap to Holy Scripture. It's not a replacement for the Bible, uh, but it condenses uh, the chief teachings of the Scripture as those teachings are coherent. Uh, in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and um, and we, as we read uh, Catechism, 
uh, we're actually drawn deeper uh, back into the Bible, back into uh, the Scripture. Uh, the second point you made, that the Catechism is a, uh, a prayer book. And, uh, and, you know, we could think of that, again, I think, in a, in a number of different ways. Uh, the 19th century Lutheran pastor, Wilhelm Leia, uh, said that of all the catechisms in Christendom, Luther's catechism alone could be praised. And what he meant by that is that you can take any of the explanations that Dr. Luther offers there in the catechism of the commandments of the creed, Lord's Prayer, or even the sacraments, and it's very easy uh, to turn those parts of the catechism uh, into a prayer. So that uh, the catechism itself, in that way, is teaching us to pray. And the catechism also, of course, uh, one of the six key parts is the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is very specifically uh, directed to uh, uh, to the life uh, to the life of, of prayer. And Luther saw the Ten Commandments as actually kind of setting an agenda uh, for the life of prayer in the Christian. Maybe we'll come back to that a little later in the program since we're going to be talking about Commandments 1 and 2. And then it is a handbook for the life of the baptized, for the royal priesthood. It's a, book, a handbook of vocation. Uh, you know, you see this already, I think, in Luther's explanation of the first article of the creed, where he says, after kind of rehearsing all that God has done for us in creation, all that he has given, for this, uh, for all of this, it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. And then Luther doesn't give you kind of a to-do list at that point. But once he gets you through the uh, uh, remaining five key parts of the catechism, uh, where do you learn to thank and praise God? Morning prayer, uh, evening prayer, prayer mealtime, little prayers, uh, little mini liturgies, folks, we can call them, uh, that Luther appended uh, to the small catechism. And then where, where do you serve and obey God? Uh, not by going off into a monastery or by staying, you know, in enclosed uh, in, in the walls of the, of the church, but in those ordinary places of life uh, where Christian is now living, uh, in the congregation, in the, uh, say, the civic community or citizenship, and uh, the household, which for Luther included not only marriage and what we would probably describe as nuclear family, but sometimes other people uh, living under the same roof, so that uh, in Luther's day, that's where daily work was done. And so the household was uh, as much an economic uh, reality as it was a kind of domestic or familial arrangement. And Dr. Pless, as we look at the small catechism, for us, we'll be using Luther's small catechism with explanation, which came, which was printed in 2017. We look at right. the section, which is page 13. We, we already had Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton last week, who was a graduate of, of Concordia Theological Seminary in, in Fort Wayne. And he, I'm well. uh, yes, and, and we're very blessed and very blessed to have you on too today. And we spoke specifically about, you look at the section that says the Ten Commandments. And often we will kind of skip that and just go to the first commandment. But there's words in between. It says, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. Uh, Dr. Plass, why are those words still relevant for us today? 
Indeed, they are. In fact, Luther included those words. He was prompted, I think, to include those words uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. In fact, in his preface to the large catechism, he cites Deuteronomy chapter 6 in this regard, where you might recall God says through Moses that uh, this creed of Israel, hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one, is a, is a word that is to be uh, on your heart, put on, into your heart. And well, how does the word get into the heart? Get there by way of being spoken into the ear. And so in that chat or in that question of Deuter- or Deuteronomy 6, um, Moses says you are to teach these things to your children as you sit down, as you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you go to sleep, as you rise up in, in the morning. And, and so it's uh, uh, the primary place for this kind of teaching was the family. And the primary teacher uh, was to be the head of the family, namely uh, the father. And, and that uh, the father has the responsibility here of imparting uh, the word of God so that uh, the household does not forget the Lord, uh, but remembers us. Uh, God for what he has done and how he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Um, one of my friends who has written extensively on the catechism is a, uh, another Minnesotan by the name of Jim Nestigan. Mm. And Dr. Nestigan says that uh, in preparing the catechism, Luther brought the village altar into the family kitchen. Uh, and I like that image that here, uh, you know, it, it's not only kind of going to church on Sunday morning, as important as that is, of course, uh, but now uh, the truth that is heard proclaimed in the sermon, uh, the prayers that are prayed in church, uh, now kind of filter out into the, in, into the family. And, um, and, and that's where uh, faith uh, is, is, is nurtured, and parents in particular have responsibility uh, for this, uh, this teaching, so that Luther's would say in one of his catechism sermons that um, every mother and father is a bishop and bishop, helping us uh, carry out the uh, service for the word of God in their own household, in their own own homes. Well, let's get into the commandments themselves, uh, because, well, we're going to have a hard time getting past the first commandment, I believe, today, but it is an important one, which begins everything. So I'll recite the first commandment and we'll begin our study. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Dr. Pless, God begins with this and it's very simple, but there's a lot there. How do you want to begin? Yeah. Um, boy, there is so much there. Uh, first of all, we might know what Luther does not do. He doesn't say, now let me convince you that God exists. Eh? <laughs> um, you see, Luther follows very much the pattern of the Old Testament, that any fool should be able to recognize that there is a God who has created us. In fact, um, you know, the Old Testament is full of condemnations of idolatry of false gods, but there's really only one place, Psalm 14, verse 1, 
uh, that we we would call in our day, I suppose, atheism. And and there, uh, the Islamic thing, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. So Luther doesn't uh, work under the burden of trying to demonstrate to people that there is a God. He simply takes the word of God and asserts it. You shall have no other God. And when you look at what Luther does in the large catechism, and I realize uh, that our discussion together today is on the small catechism, but Luther also prepared the large catechism, and the, the small catechism was kind of like the tip of the iceberg, but there's a big substructure uh, underneath the small catechism that you can actually read in uh, the large catechism. And Concord Matters, of course, is devoted to the whole book of Concord, so I hope your hearers will uh, maybe be, uh, uh, maybe be uh, inspired. Uh, to look into the uh, a large catechism as well. But Luther basically starts with the definition of what it means to have a God. And to kind of summarize it, it, your God is whatever you fear, love, and trust in above all things. And so Luther says, the heart makes both God and an idol. And if your faith is wrong, if you're fearing and loving and trusting in something other than uh, the true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, then you have uh, you have an idol. And Luther then sees uh, the first commandment as the fountain or the source of the remaining commandment. And he says, uh, he basically says, all the other commandments of God are derived from this first commandment. And that the first commandment is embedded at the center of commandment uh, two through ten, and then you might note in the in his small catechism, Luther actually takes what is the conclusion of the first commandment in the Bible, Exodus twenty five to six, five to six, and he places that conclusion at the end of his exposition of the commandment to demonstrate again that. Uh, all the other commandments are admitted and flow from uh, the first commandment. And, and, uh, and that if, for Luther, if you perfectly kept the first commandment, you would really not have to worry about commandment 2 through 10. They would simply fall into place. And conversely, anytime you break one of the other commandments, uh, you've, you've broken the first commandment because First commandment, uh, as one scholar of the catechism puts it, is God's way of time to escape uh, the entirety of our life. In other words, there's no aspect of our life uh, or the life of our neighbor uh, which is out from under uh, his lordship. Can you repeat that once again? The first commandment is God's way of, of confiscating mm-hmm. the entirety of your life. In other words, there's no part of my life uh, that I can say, no, thank you, God. I'm claiming this for myself. So whether it is uh, uh, in my, the way I deal with the Lord's name or the way I deal with his word, um, commandments two, three, two and three, or you get into the, what we call sometimes the second table of the law, uh, parent, authority, the body of the neighbor, 
uh, marriage of the neighbor, property of the neighbor, reputation of the neighbor, um, all of those are governed by the first commandment. So I, I cannot say to God, I have no need of your word, and yet you're still going to be my God. Uh, that's not the way of faith. Uh, faith rejoices uh, to receive all that the Lord would give us in his uh, uh, word, so that we esteem preaching in his word, hold it faith, we gladly hear and learn it, is a paraphrased catechism. And likewise with our, our parents. Uh, you know, uh, uh, parents are God's representatives. And so uh, to dishonor parents is to dishonor uh, that and, uh, and, and on down the line. So that the first commandment is all inclusive, that God is really uh, laying hold or confiscating the totality of, uh, of, of, the, of, of the life of the human being. Now, Pastor, with about two minutes before our time for our break, this is kind of an, this is an opinion. What are some common realities of gods that we will have in our lives that are above the one and true God? Well, you know, uh, Mark Twain said, in the beginning, God made man in his own image, and ever since man has returned the compliment. <laughs> um, and, and so, the, you know, uh, and, and, both Luther and uh, John Calvin used similar language when they described the human heart as an idol factory, mm. uh, that we make a God that looks like us. Uh, we make a God uh, that will be a domesticated deity, a God that we can live with, a God that does not uh, uh, you know, challenge us or uh, kind of encroach on what we want to think of our, uh, our own right. And that's really the kind of the scandal of the Christian faith is that we have a God uh, that cannot simply be shaped by our own imagination. Uh, we have a God who uh, loves his creation so deeply that he takes on the form of a servant and suffers and dies on the cross, or the shame of the cross uh, to, uh, uh, to redeem us. And, um, and, and so definitely the God that of scripture is not a God made simply in the image of man. In fact, uh, again, to kind of play on Mark Twain's uh, little aphorism or saying there, um, you know, God makes us in his image, not that we make God in our image. Well, it is time to take our break. I am definitely realizing many of my idols this morning. So we continue to continue to look to Christ as he just did. We are citing the first and second commandments in Luther's small catechism with Dr. John Pless, and we'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., Join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. And 
welcome back. We are studying the first and second commandments in Luther's small catechism with Dr. John Pless at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Pless, I think there's two questions that people are really wanting to uh, be answered at this point. The first one, which I know was my question, is after all these years at the University of Minnesota, are you a Gopher fan? <laughs> I, I, uh, I still have an affection for the Gophers. I mean, you know, when you move to Indiana and kind of move out of Minnesota, uh, you're not quite as uh, as much in the loop. You know, when I was pastor in Minneapolis, it, the the old uh, uh, the old stadium was just down the street. They yeah. were playing, of course, downtown. And I regularly had uh, members of the congregation who were on the uh, you know who were uh, on the football team and. Uh, being campus pastor was very much tied into that. Uh, obviously, you know, 22 years down the stream, I'm not uh, not there anymore, but I, I still check in on the Gophers every once in a while. Very good. Um, I'm a big Gopher fan, even though it's not a, a fandom of, of greatness, but it is a loyalty that, that I have. Yeah. I appreciate that. Dr. Pless, the second question that I have is that you wrote a book called Praying Luther's Small Catechism. And it's a wonderful yeah. book that I would encourage our listeners to check out on online and through CPH. It's something weird. How would we take, because we never think of this as something to pray with, but can you give us an example of, you have the first commandment. How could we pray the first commandment? Well, you know, I, again, I said earlier in the program that Wilhelm Leia, the German pastor of the last century or the, of the 19th century, said that Uther's catechism of all the catechisms in Christendom could alone be prayed. And what really kind of got me, that was really what got me started thinking about writing this book, uh, to just kind of check it out, uh, was, was Leia right? And it didn't uh, take too much effort or too much time to see that Leia was right. I could turn each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, each of the commandments, each article of the creed, uh, explanations of the sacraments, uh, into a prayer. And so on one level, that's what I did in praying Luther's small catechism. But then I also wanted to look at how each part of the catechism uh, not only could be prayed, but what each part of the catechism actually evokes when it comes to our prayer. Um, Luther wrote a little letter, an open letter we would say, for a tract entitled uh, uh, Letter to Peter the Barber uh, about six years after he prepared the catechism. So he prepared the catechism in uh, 1529, and in 1535, he wrote a little tract to the village barber, Peter Espendor, and apparently Peter the Barber, uh, you know, devout layman, heard Luther preaching and the other pastors in Wittenberg preaching about prayer. And uh, you could imagine that uh, Luther is sitting there getting getting uh, his hair cut or getting shaved. And Peter says, well, the preachers are always saying how that we should pray. Well, how do we pray? And Luther answers that uh, inquiry. And Luther basically says, well, when you pray, Take the Ten Commandments and consider each commandment 
uh, in a fourfold aspect. He even uses the image of thinking of each commandment as um, as a book and or as four books in a little mini library. That um, uh, uh, ask yourself, what does the commandment teach you about God? Uh, use it as a school book. Think of the, each commandment as a hymn book. How does that commandment teach you to praise God? Use each commandment as a confession book. How does the commandment uh, show you your sin and teach you to confess it? And uh, use the, the commandment also as a prayer book. What should I be praying for on the basis of this commandment? And uh, if you kind of think of the commandments in that way, or um, uh, you can you know, even look at the other parts of the catechism with the same kind of template, uh, that really does kind of generate your prayer life. Uh, what do I give thanks for under the first commandment? I give thanks that the true and living God indeed is my God, that he is the Father who has made his fatherly heart known in his son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has called me to faith, which now does fear, love, and trust in this God above all things. Uh, I, I give thanks for that. I praise God uh, for that. Uh, the commandment teaches. It teaches me that I am not to create gods for myself or worship uh, uh, false gods, confusing uh, creation with uh, the creator. Um, I pray for those on the basis of the first commandment uh, who do not yet know and confess the true and living uh, God. Uh, I, um, you know, and, 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 and so that is a, you know, a prayer of supplication. And I confess that idols have often found a place in my own heart. And, uh, and, and I have not been uh, content and confident uh, to trust in the promises of, uh, of, of the God who is the God and Father of Jesus Christ, but have uh, created my own kind of substitute deities and backup God just in case. The true God seems not to be working. So, uh, you know, think, uh, Luther says that you, you can kind of use, you can really use the commandments and the creed Lord's prayer as, um, uh, as, as kind of flint and feel striking flint that kind of ignites, uh, the meditations of the heart in accordance with God's word and then, uh, leads us. Uh, into, in, into prayer, prayer that is uh, thanksgiving, uh, intercession, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and praise of God and uh, confession of our confession of our sin. I'd encourage you, our listeners, to to listen to that again, because it is a beautiful reality as we look at the small catechism, not just to put it cranially into the mind. Um, and not just to always have it on our lips, but also to pray it. Because just what Dr. Pless went through is enough for us to pray all day, to be honest. As we look at our world, <laughs> our lives, and the first commandment, we could pray it every single day. But yet it's so simple and rich in God's word. So, Dr. Pless, we look at the first commandment. Is there anything else you want to highlight before we get to the second commandment? I know we could talk all day, but any last things you want to highlight for our listeners? Well, maybe there to simply note the three words that Luther uses uh, in terms of what does it mean to have a God. The fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And Luther understands fear as something that is 
deeper than just awe or reverence, but he understands the fear of God as the recognition that this is the God who actually has um, authority and power over uh, your life, much in the same way that uh, Jesus uh, says, where Jesus is speaking in Luke 12, I think, and he says, fear not the one who has power to destroy the body, but fear him who has uh, power to destroy both body and soul and hell. So there's a recognition with the fear of God that God is not, is God. God, as Luther likes to say, let God be God. Uh, God is who he is, and uh, we are not that God. We are creatures. And, and, and so the first commandment distinguishes the creature, that would be us, from uh, the creator. And this is the God who is to be feared, but he's also to be loved. And we can love this God uh, only because he has first loved us in Christ. And, um, and, and so, you know, uh, herein is love, the evangelist John says, but not that we have loved God, but God has loved us and given his son as a funny sacrifice for our sin. But it is only uh, from the perspective of being recipients of that love of God in Christ that we can uh, love God. And to love God then means to value him above anything uh, else and, and uh, even above our own, own, own lives to, uh, uh, to cling to him. So fear, love, and trust, that's faith. And Luther says, finally, uh, the first commandment uh, demand that we trust in God, not trusting in God once in a while, but the totality of that uh, of trust, trusting in him above all other things that we might trust in in this life, uh, that ultimately and finally our, our faith, our trust is in God. So the fear and love and trust in, 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 in God above all things. And, um, and, and so Luther, uh, in the large catechism says that the first commandment is actually fulfilled by faith. Without faith, you can't keep the first commandment. So that, uh, without, without faith, uh, the first commandment would be an impossibility. As you said, it's I guess God. Maybe the, uh, I guess maybe the other thing I would like to add under the first uh, commandment is that, um, Luther sees in the first commandment both law and gospel. Um, the uh, uh, one of the great Luther scholars of our day, Oswald Bayer, has commented that uh, uh, for Luke, for Luther, the first commandment is law, because God absolutely prohibits any right uh, any other God. But for Luther, Bayer goes on to say it's also gospel in. And the gospel underside of the first commandment is that if you have the true and living God, that is, if you have Jesus Christ, you don't need any other God. And, uh, and, and so Luther sees, uh, Luther will often even talk sometimes about the first commandment as being a summary of the entire Bible. You know, it, it, we've talked here today a little about the first commandment being a summary of the, of the Decalogue. But uh, for Luther, it was actually a, a summary of the entire Bible, both law and gospel. Oh, boy. We could talk about that all day. So I encourage yeah. our listeners to 
not only read the small catechism, to pray the small catechism first commandment, but as Dr. Pless said, look at the large catechism and the first commandment. It is just pure gold. I mean, he expands on it. It's practical, points us to scripture, and then ultimately points us to Christ. So Dr. 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 Plus, we're going to have to move forward because we have about 15 okay. minutes left we'll for the second commandment. And it obviously reflects the first commandment. So let me recite the commandment now. The second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. But call upon it in every trouble. Pray praise and give thanks. Now, Dr. Plass, I want, I want to start with this question. When it gets to the meaning of the commandment, it begins by showing us how we, what we need to do and what we have done wrong. You know, do not, do not curse, do not swear, do not use satanic right. arts and the fourth. But then it says, but do this, call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So it gives us, don't do this, but then it says, do this. That's all throughout the, the Ten Commandments. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right. Uh, there is both prohibition and prescription, we might say. Prohibition, these are the things you are not to do. But the flip side there is the prescription. This is what you are to do. So, for example, with the second commandment, we are to fear love God so that we do not curse, swear, use the Pentecost, lie or deceive by his name. Then the positive. The prescription, what are you to do with God's name? Call upon it in every trouble. Pray, pray, and give thanks. And, and so uh, the commandments, uh, you know, if, if they were simply uh, prohibitions, uh, might, we might have a better chance of kind of pulling them off because we can simply discipline ourselves to avoid certain activities. But the commandments show us our sin, uh, not only these uh, things that we have done, like cursing, swearing, lying, using witchcraft, and using satanic arts, new translation, but, uh, but the commandments also show us what we have failed to do, that we have not called upon God's name in every trouble. We have not prayed or prayed yet or given thanks. Uh, I mean, that's open-ended. You never can do enough of that, in other words. And so we all, well, the commandment in that sense always shows us uh, what we are lacking. And so as you look at the second commandment, it is, it, is, it is one of these that we can try to wiggle through and say, okay, well, I don't use that cuss word. I don't use that cuss word, or I make sure I do it. If I do it, I'm by myself and no one can see me. I'm always respectful of my words. But it seems to me, as we look at this, there's more to it than just, I haven't cussed lately. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there. And I think you really have to uh, kind of get back to the fact that this commandment has to do with the name of the Lord, your God. When uh, I teach catechism class, we're now more likely teaching students how to teach catechism class. I always start here with Exodus 3, where the Lord gives his name to Moses and makes the point uh, that the name of the Lord is not a label that we hang on God, but it is through his name 
that he reveals himself. He tells us, in other words, who he is. And, and so there is a particular ordering here in the commandment. God himself, first commandment, and then the name of God, second commandment. Because the name actually is God's way of locating himself, uh, revealing himself. Uh, wherever he causes his name to be, there he is making himself uh, present. And so this commandment is really uh, quite foundational for a lot of what is to come in the catechism uh, because uh, the catechism does deal with the word of God and because with the word of God is always dealing uh, with, uh, with his, his, his name. And then Luther has this kind of listing here, uh, we are not uh, to curse. Well, everybody kind of knows what a curse is. Uh, it is the opposite of a blessing. And so uh, if somebody would say, um, you know, God God bless you, that seems like something quite positive. But on the other hand, if one were to say God damn you, uh, that's a curse. And, and that's what we're not to do. God has not given us that prerogative. Uh, to uh, pronounce his um, eternal judgment on people or faith. Uh, and uh, and again, you know, in our uh, cleverness, sometimes we've found ways to circumvent uh, actually saying God damn you or God damn it or something like that. Uh, but, uh, it, but yet the words we're using simply become kind of a code, you see, uh, for that. And, and I think Luther here uh, wants to bring all of these different kind of aspects uh, together. Uh, that, and again, it, it's aiming for the part. Why did God give us his name in the first place? That we might know him, uh, that we might uh, call upon him, uh, uh, that we might uh, uh, you know, have the fellowship with God, that comes only from knowing uh, his name. You really don't know someone, we would say, even in you know ordinary life, unless you know their name. But once you have their name, you have some access to them. And God gives us access to himself uh, by way of his name. And so he wants us uh, to use his name, uh, not for deception, not for lying, not for in a superstitious way, not to make uh, promises or uh, you know oaths that we can't keep, or to uh, or to curse in His name, but call upon that name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. One of the statements in this commandment that can even more so lead us to maybe a weird comfort is you satanic arts. Like, well, good. I'm not. I don't use a Ouija board. I don't use. Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not part of the satanic cult. And that one's a little bit confusing, especially in light of a lot of movies that are quite popular in the last decade that talk about just the paranormal. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? What does Luther address? Well, we could talk about that a little. And uh, some of your readers or listeners, rather, or auditors uh, might remember the older translation of the catechism, one that maybe uh, you and I even grew up with, where it was practice witchcraft. Mm-hmm. instead of satanic art. And um, uh, actually, scholars have kind of debated uh, 
what is entailed in Luther's language here. And uh, one of my uh, good friends and colleagues who uh, I was privileged to work with in preparing the uh, 2017 version of the Catechism, Dr. Charles Aaron, and uh, he suggests that the Satanic arts might really, uh, might not really hit the mark here, that Luther's language really had to do more with things uh, that would be uh, in the realm of the practice of superstition. And the point would be that uh, you know, what we would call satanic or occult phenomena would fall under the condemnation of the first commandment. And what Luther seems to be more focused on in uh, uh, the second commandment with uh, this language of satanic art would be these kinds of superstitious practices. Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, medieval uh, Christians or even Christians of Luther's day uh, smuggling a uh, consecrated communion hoax and uh, using that, uh, to, you know, putting that in the garden with the thought that it would help the turnips grow better. Or, um, or using God's name in a way to, uh, uh, in a superstitious way, uh, as, as though that use of God's name would bring about, uh, you know, um, health or prosperity or some other kind of temporal blessing just by the repetition of the name. So there's a little, uh, uh, you know, a little question there about how we should understand the satanic art. Certainly, uh, Luther would see this commandment as, uh, uh, as, as condemning any kind of, uh, occultic, uh, use of God's name or for occultic, uh, for occultic purposes. Uh, and, um, and, and that's still very much uh, an issue. You know, there was one, uh, Inner Lutheran translation of the small catechism back in the mid 1960s that uh, simply dropped that word altogether, uh, witchcraft, satanic arts. And the argument was made that, hey, we're living in the 60s and uh, uh, that's kind of too medieval. People aren't uh, concerned about those things. And the ink on that particular translation of the catechism was not yet dry. Until you had uh, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, uh, uh, Ouija boards, and all kinds of, uh, you know, paranormal things resurfacing. So I think the moral of the story there is uh, don't get rid of something simply because it doesn't seem to be in tune with the time. There's, um, there's wisdom uh, to simply uh, leave it in place, even though uh, we might not have uh, the same kind of experience or, um, or, or thoughts about some of these, uh, phenomena today. As we look at the small catechism, one, one that's very striking is every time I've taught it, every time I've gone through it is one, you always learn something new and, and Luther alludes to this, or he proclaims this very loudly towards the end of his life. But then secondly, how practical it still is today. I mean, this is written in the 1500s, but yet you could read this today and say, boy, that sounds like someone wrote it yesterday. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying. Just that word, you satanic arts, like, ah, that doesn't relate to today. People are beyond that. And boom, we're able to see it on every part. Superstition is all over the place. Exactly. 
I hope this will happen as opposed to I hope in the Lord. I mean, it is all over our culture. But Pastor, we have about a minute left, uh, excuse me, five minutes left in our time. And I really wanted to hit home on those that last uh, prescription that you mentioned before. Call upon in every trouble, pray praise, and give thanks. How would you encourage our listeners to do exactly what Luther says as we look at the second commandment? Well, I, I think, first of all, uh, the recognition that the Lord has put his name on us in our baptism. Uh, and he has given his name to us so that we might call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, so that his name is not something distant uh, or esoteric or out there in space somewhere, but uh, his name, by his name, he has uh, given himself to you. And we're reminded of that, by the way, every time we go to uh, a church in the divine service and hear the words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In church language, we call that the invocation, which really means a calling on the name of the Lord. So that, uh, and Luther encourages us to do that, by the way, in the catechism, at the beginning and the end of each day. In the morning, he says, when you get out of bed, he suggests you make the sign of the Holy Cross uh, and uh, on yourself and say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you uh, repeat that as you go to bed. The confidence, in other words, uh, that we, our lives, our little lives, are always lived under the umbrella of God's name and where he has put his name. He has put himself to, uh, to be with us and, um, and, and to bless us. And the recognition then that um, no matter where we are in life or what we are doing, uh, we uh, carry with us the Lord's name and he has given us that name that we would call upon him. And, uh, and Luther talks about calling upon the name of the Lord in the day of trouble. And there he is simply echoing the book of Psalms. Uh, because in, in the Psalms, we are told to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, he will deliver and you will glorify him. And uh, Luther is really kind of embodying that practice uh, in, uh, in this teaching of, uh, of having on the name of the Lord in the, uh, the second, under the second commandment. I do find it fascinating and I encourage our listeners in, in the small catechism, the 2017 version on page 30 and 31, he not only tells us to pray praise and give thanks, but then he gives us an example of how to do so. Now, Dr. Bless, in the You're last back. past two minutes of our time, can you talk about that a little bit? Maybe the connections of that prayer, praise and give thanks and the morning and evening prayer that you just spoke about? Yeah, um, that, um, you know, as I said, uh, Luther speaks of this in the first article, and and uh, uh, here again, there's kind of overlap between the parts of the Catechism, uh, particularly at this point, the second commandment. But um, we pray, pray, and give thanks. It they uh, particularly Luther says in the morning, in the evening, and at meal time. Well, morning, evening, meal times are they. Uh, junctures, I suppose, in human life, where it is most clear that we are creators, that we are creatures and not the creator. God doesn't need the sleep. And he, uh, in fact, the, the Lord of Israel, uh, the God of Israel, Psalm 121 says, neither sleeps nor slumbers, but we can't go without sleep. 
And so when we go to bed, uh, we go to bed commending ourselves into the Lord's keeping. And when we rise in the morning, we give him praise and thanks that he has uh, brought us through the hours of darkness and given us a new day of, of life. Uh, and mealtime. Uh, God doesn't need to eat. Uh, Psalm 50, uh, the Lord says, the cattle on the thousand hills are mine, but I tell you if I were hungry. But we need to eat. We can't go without food and drink. And, and yet, and we praise him and we praise God for he is the God who opens his hand uh, to satisfy the desires of every living thing. And so Luther brings that language, praise and thanksgiving, precisely into these places of these uh, aspects of life where it is most clear that we are not creator, but creature. We could talk all day, Dr. Pless, but that is our time. The Reverend Dr. John Pless of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, clearly confessing Christ to us from the first and second commandment. Dr. Pless, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Well, thank you, President, for having me on, on Concord Matters, and uh, the Lord bless you and your work and, uh, and, and the hearers who are hearing God's word and meditating on his truth and with their lips confessing his name. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.